0: Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 777th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we inspire you to become part of your food revolution.
1: At this point, people get it. People understand that we've got a problem and that we are a big component in that problem and that we need to do something. And so that's terrific. And climate doesn't care about awareness. (laughs) Climate doesn't care about our feelings. Climate cares about our actions. And ultimately, if we're going to get to where we want to go, we need to start living differently.
0: Today on our podcast, we have someone who is helping corporations develop sustainability strategies. We're talking with Graham Hill about cutting your carbon footprint. Graham is the founder and CEO of The Carbonauts. He is one of Fast Company's 100 most creative people in business and has been featured on the cover of Inc. and Dwell magazines. Before the Carbonauts, Graham founded the groundbreaking website Treehugger, which was the most trafficked green site for years with billions of page views. He has worked in the environmental field for over 22 years and is known for his ability to eloquently explain how we can create a simpler, wealthier, greener, and happier planet. Welcome to the show today, Graham. Are you ready to rock? Sure am. Let's do it. Awesome. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I call myself a designpreneur because I studied architecture and product design. So very much from that angle, but always wanted to, was very curious about business and from a very early age. And so that's been my focus. I was very lucky Uh, during my studying product design at Emily Carr in Vancouver in 93, 94 to fall in love with the internet uh, Mm. and just get enamored and wanting to work in that space. So I moved to Seattle immediately upon the ending school. And my cousin Tish Hill and I set about uh, starting a company uh, to build websites. And this was very early, one of the early, early, early ones. And we got Microsoft as a client, we did good work, grew it to 60 people and sold it. So that was a big part of things. And that basically meant that I got to New York and I'd made some money at an early age. And so I was very fortunate and and fortunate. And then I was able to be choosy about what I wanted to do and even self-fund things. And since 2000, I've been focused on environmental matters. Why largely hippie parents and reading and probably architecture. There's just a focus on thinking broadly. And so I've been very lucky to be focused on that since 2000. (laughs) I worked on a plant-based air filter for a little bit there and got some bad scientific advice, but still got me into the area. And basically out of frustration in 2004, started Treehugger, uh, which I'd been thinking about for a number of years at that point. And Treehugger is a a tongue-in-cheek name. Uh, It's actually, we love the hippies, but Treehugger was uh, not very Treehugger, in fact. Uh, And we were unique in that uh, environmental media at that point was just terrible for the most part. And we created first cool green website, uh, a website that was positive, was about inspiring by hope instead of by fear, was bipartisan, so it appealed to uh, both sides or all the sides, was pro-business. We felt that the business could be a real part of this and just was designed forward. And it really took off because it just appealed to a much larger sector of our society. And uh, yeah, just people felt like they'd found their people and they'd found their tribe. And so it went very well. And we became, as you mentioned, the biggest green site on the web for a bunch of years in the mid two thousands and then sold to discovery of, of discovery channel fame. Now mm-hmm. Warner Brothers discovery. And they were fantastic. I worked for them for a couple of years. They kept a, took, great care of the site and it had various joint ventures, et cetera, and eventually ended up at IAC, actually under the management of a good friend, Neil Vogel in New York. So Treehugger is still going strong billions of web pages later. And yeah, I'm happy about that. Then I spent about a decade focused on small living. Uh, Small living being just the idea that if you apply smart design technology and a little behavior change, that you can create a, a, a life uh, that will save you money, that will reduce your footprint, and that ultimately uh, a smaller edited life is actually a happier life. And so we did a bunch of media at lifeedited. Uh I uh, gave up some TED Talks on the various subjects, and we did some really cool projects, apartments, houses with moving walls and transforming spaces, so lots of Murphy beds and Just trying to do more with less. One of them was on the cover of the Dwell small space issue. Yeah, just a lot of really fun, sort of high design, cool stuff. and That was a great period. And then about three and a half years ago, in 2020, I started a company called The Carbonauts. Mm -hmm. And the big idea there is simply that one thing that was very different from tree hugger days was that we have awareness. In Treehugger days, the beginning of Treehugger back in 2004, this was about mainstreaming green. How do we get this thing more widely known? At this point, people get it. People understand that we've got a problem and that we are a big component in that problem and that we need to do something. And so that's terrific. And climate doesn't care about awareness. (laughs) Climate doesn't care about our feelings. Climate cares about our actions. And Ultimately, if we're going to get to where we want to go, we need to start living differently. And that can certainly start with the great solutions that exist at this point. But understandably, many people, your average person, doesn't necessarily know what to do. It's confusing. There's a lot of misinformation, disinformation, just information, period. With busy lives and stresses, it's hard to know what to do. And so people tend to not do much. And so our role is really to help with that, to make it easy and really personalize it to people so that they can actually make a difference. So one story that we tell, which is a, a story we've, we're retelling, Peter Kalmus, uh, a climate change scientist tells, is about a, a blogger on a plane flying from North America to Asia. And they're proudly talking about how they brought the reusable water bottle and therefore are able to avoid a whole bunch of the uh, plastic glasses that they would be getting on the plane. He says, great, definitely do that and you should be aware that the flight you're on is the equivalent of 100,000 water bottles in terms of emissions. And so wow, when we tell that story, not to flight shame and this is very important. We're really not about judging. But just that it's important for people to understand how all this stuff works to, so you understand the scale of things such that you ideally put the effort the willpower the money in the places where you have the most impact and so in that example if you're spending a lot of time thinking about recycling and worrying about your reusable water bottle but very little time in thinking about how you might pack two stack two trips together or skip a flight in some way over the next decade, you'd be really focused on the wrong area. And so that is what I would say is a, a big part of what we do. The way that we've translated this is we tend to do workshops. And, and so we're in an employee engagement around mm-hmm. sustainability for big companies. And so in the Fortune 1000, we have some a bunch of them literally in the Fortune 50. So some really big companies. and. Those companies, they've got often really aggressive sustainability goals, which is fantastic. Yep. Such good news. And frankly, it's surprising to me. So I'm really happy about that. But they often have sustainability teams that are too small and not enough budget.
0: Maybe undereducated.
1: I think the sustainability people often know a fair amount. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, they say that culture eats strategy in that you can put together a big strategy for your company want to, wants to go, but your culture really needs to be behind it. And so I think a lot of these sustainability teams, they're going to do the best with the people they have and the money that they have, and they'll do the strategy and they might hit a bunch of the low hanging fruit, but ultimately net zero is actually really difficult. Yeah, uh, And you need a culture to support where you're trying to go. And so our role is really to help uh, get staff climate literate climate enthusiastic so that they can be a, build a supportive culture
0: nice uh, that's the carbonauts yeah, mission. That's the carbonauts. yeah. That's right. excellent that's right. so i, I want to tease apart a couple of things great uh, in in your bio it said sustainability change agent can you define what that is
1: sure i think my role on this planet is to yeah try to move culture and get people to, to live in a different manner. I, I have clearly seen now for coming up on 24 years that we've got an issue with the climate that we have to deal with. And it's also very clear to me that we've lost our path somewhat. Mm-hmm. We've confused the amount of stuff and the amount of space we think we need in our lives with what truly makes us happy, which is relationships experiences, connections, like that's what really matters. I think there's a beautiful modern green future that's literally just around the corner. One that's better for the planet, our, the, the billions of other animals uh, on it, also better for our pocketbooks and, and is a happier place for us to be. And so my role as a sustainability change agent is to try to help people see that and help them, them get there in with their busy lives. So we do these workshops that are cameras on, highly interactive, tend to be virtual, cohort-based, so 15 to 25 people. And we help them understand the issues, but more importantly, understand the solutions and help cheerlead and coach them into taking action and then sharing about it to build the social norms that are really
0: going to get us to where we want to go. So about 15, 20 years ago, I developed this theory. And the theory goes like this, 99% of the time people change because they get hit by a Mack truck. 1% of the time they change because they choose. And the big part of this podcast is to get Mm. people in that one or two or 3% where they're actually choosing to make a difference rather than having to get a broken arm or massive weather or fires or anything like that. Mm -hmm. How do we get people to wake up?
1: In my opinion, it's all about social norms. So I think the way that we decide on how we behave is by looking around generally by the people that are close to us. That's how we make decisions. And so we just need to build new social norms. And so one very simple but powerful example in this space is littering. So in the 70s, people would literally throw garbage out of their car window. That wasn't a weird thing. Mm -hmm. Now... Greg, you probably wouldn't do it if you were miles away from the nearest person, and there's no way that anyone would ever find out. You just could not throw that bag of garbage on the ground. And that's that just power over you, and it's just part of us. And so we need new social norms. And I think you can see how lacking they are, as just a simple example, in the environmental movement. The number of environmental events I go to where they serve meat and perhaps even plastic bottles, I think illustrates how weak we are. And I still eat meat. I will probably, I'm a weekday vegetarian and I try to not eat beef and lamb and I I try to do, but, and I'm I'm sure I will uh, have great shame in the future when I look back at this time, but I still believe that if you're going to do an environmental event, it should be a, a minimum vegetarian, if not vegan. And so I think that's a good example. So we have, and I would say a lot of people think, oh, that uh, people love to point fingers. And so we, people love to point at the, oh, it's the deniers. How are we going to get the deniers on board? And I think that if we should be so lucky to be, <laughs> to be, for it to be about the deniers. I think this is at this point, it's about the choir. And we got to get the literally the 3%, 5% of us who are doing, are open to doing stuff to, to really do it. Um, yeah. So the number of yeah, environmental events where they serve meat, people, uh, the greenies arriving in gas cars, not to shame at all, but just to recognize that that's sort of where we're at. And we really need to build those norms and get the momentum moving. We can't just have solutions that people don't take them up. And so, the no brainer ones we need to do. A hidden one is probably just people having renewable energy at home. You can get it from your utility in like basically 50 states in about five or 10 minutes via online or via phone call. And it generally might cost you a little something. Sometimes you even save money. It's so powerful, it really reduces your footprint. And yet it's a fraction of our society that's actually doing
0: that very easy move. So putting solar panels on our roof.
1: If you are fortunate to own your own home and can do that, absolutely. Fantastic investment, great thing to do. Or signing up for community solar via your utility or via Mm -hmm. community solar group. That's more and more available these days. Or signing up for uh, utility grade renewable energy
0: from your utility. Nice, you know, widely available. Nice. Yeah. So you have a big six. These are the highest impact actions an individual can do to slash their carbon footprint. I wanted to focus in on those for a little while. Um, right. Was that one of them?
1: That was definitely one of them. Yeah. Switching to renewable energy is definitely one of them. And so we, yeah, there's, there, I think we have suffered from basically 100 eco tips kind of stuff. <laughs> right. And we definitely did this at Treehugger, but I think uh, many of us are guilty. And I think it's really important to understand the impactful ones for you. And it depends who you are and what your life is about, for sure. But in general, there are six that are really impactful. And so the big six are switch to renewable energy. So we mm-hmm. just spoke about that one. I would say part of that would be reduce first. So you really want to there are some basic things you can do that reduce the amount of energy that you use, which means you're going to save money, uh, but also going to reduce your footprint. So that's the simple replacing all your bulbs with LED bulbs, getting uh, power strips and unplugging that beer fridge that you never use in your back of your apartment or in your garage. If, if you're fortunate to own your own home or apartment, doing a good job on the windows and the insulation and smart thermostats and all that, there's a lot of stuff you can do there. So that, I would say that's part of uh, renewable energy. Secondly, it would be reduce the miles that you drive. Many of us have to drive. If you can reduce those, that's fantastic via biking, walking, public transportation, carpooling, etc. cetera. And then if you own a car, or even if you share a car or, or take taxis or whatever, you want to drive electric as much as you can. So the they have they're not perfect. There's some issues, but they are definitely a lot better than your gas cars. And so trying to yourself into an EV or a plug-in EV, because many of those will have a gas engine and an electric battery and engine. Many of us drive not that many miles a day and if you're plugging in with a plug-in hybrid you're going to be driving electric most of the time so that's that's the second one so evs third would be food related things and so that's a move to a plant-rich diet ideally as close to vegetarian or vegan as possible for many reasons one of them being animal cruelty for sure so plant-rich diet Food waste. So, food waste is eight percent of global emissions. It's huge.
0: Is that crazy? And
1: so, it's crazy. And so, one great thing to do is just get focused on food waste. How do you reduce your food waste? And that will can save like a one or two thousand dollars a year because that's how much the average American wastes in food. So, you can really do something about that, and there are multiple benefits there. Uh, and then composting, whether you live in an apartment or a house. Uh, you can do it. It doesn't take up much space. It doesn't actually create that much volume. It's not that complicated. It's fun, and uh, that'll make a difference. So those are uh, so food waste composting, plant-rich diet under food. Then we have flying, and the average American only takes one flight. I think just uh, like basically a, a return flight every couple of years. But many of us fly a lot more than that, mm-hmm. and uh, flights are often half a ton up to. Ten or more tons if you're going wow. far, so it's a, their flying is actually re, has huge emissions, and so we really want to reduce those. There are lots of things you can uh, do there, but we talked a little bit about that stacking trips being a great. One going yeah. less often but staying longer is a, also a good one. That'll save you some money too and save you some travel time. Yep. Uh, you can use Google, kayak, and others to buy lower carbon flights. And so that's oh, to nice. Look at, look at there. That's big. So yeah, so flying is another. Offsets, these are controversial, although they shouldn't be. Offsets, uh, there definitely have been some uh, bad actors out there and some shenanigans, but there are many valid, important offset projects out there that need your support. And you're not going to get to zero in terms of your footprint. And so this is a great way to get you to zero. So reduce first, do all the things, but then buy high quality offsets with pragmatic projects like methane capture, like refrigerant destruction, things like that. So offsets is another. And then the final one is social norms, which we've spoken about. So much of our society thinks that basically half of us care when uh, about climate, when actually 70% of us care. So a good 20% care, uh, more of us care than we think we do. So part of you want to do these things, but then you want to talk about them in a non-preachy, non-judgy, helpful, positive manner in order to build these social norms. Uh, Shaming people, judging people, there's no way to get them to to change. In fact, it may cause them to dig their heels in, Uh, but asking questions and just sharing your experience and and being excited about the stuff that you're doing, uh, which uh, which inevitably feels good, is actually a really important part. So that's part why it's one of the big six. So you wanna be sharing and that's your email signature, that's sending emails around, texts, that's doing stuff in person, a lot of that for sure sharing stuff in social media and uh, yeah, just uh, taking action and talking about it. So that's the big
0: six. Nice. And it sounds like you've well thought them out.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, uh, once you look into the stuff, it's pretty, it's fairly obvious which ones the average person should be focused on. Right. So
0: let's look forward to what is possible. Can you paint a picture for our audience and describe our beautiful green future like, where are we going with this?
1: The, the nice thing about this, like there's some great cartoon, like what, that's something like, like what happens if this stuff isn't true? Right? This climate, if global warming is a hoax yeah. and the punchline is basically, yeah, we're, we're going to make the world a better place. So many of these things are just so positive. Like we just organic farming just as one Amen to that. It's just better for our health, like regardless. So I think all of these, so I'd say that's one, just it's healthier. I would say efficiency is that's our world gets better when we get more efficient and electric things are more efficient and getting energy from sun and wind, which is an unlimited resource mm-hmm. and can get to us in a cleaner manner. Than fossil fuels, which is a limited resource and will run out and has terrible challenges in how we make it into energy, how we find it and make it into energy. I think a beautiful green future is one that's healthier. It's one that has a better economy. It's more efficient. It has better functionality. Something like an induction stove, it's way easier to clean. Mm -hmm. safer in terms of heat for your kids it doesn't have a whole bunch of nasty substances in your own home from the gas yeah so it it heats up really fast michelin chefs many of them love the inductions the modern inductions maybe not the earlier ones there's some great functionality with many of these things heat pumps uh, whether for your water or to heat or cool your home Um, say the heat pump will save you like a thousand dollars a year heat pump water heater will save you like 500 a year so they're just it's just a better way of living and and i think just i think we feel on the animal front we can get like cell-based meat or replacements or just more widely available tasty vegetarian cuisine like indian food which can be amazing oh my gosh yep I think that can make such a difference. And I think we'll feel better. As I said, I'm still eating meat, but like we're literally there. 92 billion animals we kill every year. Wow. And almost worse than that is that we torture most of them lead horrific, torturous lives. Like, I think we will look back with great shame. So I think we'll feel better, too, as we live in, in in a way that we're like we're causing the extinction of many animals and we're causing the health issues with our societies with our families like people are getting sick because of the way we're living so i think this cleaner healthier more efficient way of living is just it's just simply better period even if you thought climate change was a hoax it's still better in so many ways i think that this is really a timing issue we would in terms of climate we would absolutely get there we've been moving forward women's rights civil rights animal rights like everything's been headed generally in the same direction with uh, in the right direction with some bumps along the way and some sliding back which we don't need to get into in this podcast Uh, but I think we've been headed in the right direction the problem is we have just have a time period if we had 100, 150 years to figure out climate, we'd be fine. Um, but we don't. We have um, a lot less time. Uh, and so we just need to, to focus on it. So there's a, like a, up. there's a great, beautiful, modern green future just around the corner. We have most of the technologies and knowledge that we need to get there. And we just have to get about getting there.
0: Yeah, get people on board. Yeah. Do a sustainability dinner series. Yeah,
1: I was a longtime New Yorker and still am. I lived there for 19 years more than anywhere else. I love it. Love it. Love it. I had a pretty deep network of sustainability people there just because I was focused on sustainability for the whole time I was there. And so in LA about a year ago, I just was like, I got to meet the people. And so I started throwing 15 person sustainability dinners at my home and I've done 30 of them or so. And then I started doing them in other cities where we have staff and yeah, I've done tons of these dinners. And then I started doing a drink series. So we're doing a monthly we've done the last couple months. We got hundred plus people at all sustainability people at a bar, a bar restaurant kind of thing. And so I'm doing those. I'm also leading some hikes, trying to get a little volleyball together. I have a book club. We're reading braiding sweetgrass, which is awesome. Wow. We have a film club that we're starting. So I'm just trying to build community around sustainability. There's an organization which I'm sure is still going strong in some cities called Green Drinks. We used to be huge in New York back in the 2000s, mm-hmm. uh, and
0: seems to have it's is not huge everywhere. Tell us a little bit more about Carbonauts. and if somebody's interested in engaging with you there, how, what does that look like, and how do they go about that?
1: So we're there might be people on your audience that are fit, or but more likely is that they might know people. So. Our stuff is is not mandatory. And so we tend to need really big companies because the companies pay for the staff to do the stuff and then they offer them and then we get signups and we need 15 to 25 in the room. So normally we need signups of about twice that. So we tend to work with pretty big companies, but if it's a smaller company, which is probably still 500,000 plus people, I would say. And they're really evolved and committed and they want to get mm-hmm. a lot of their staff through. It makes sense. Otherwise, we have such startup costs to get really that we don't tend to work well with small businesses. But yeah, so we're, we're looking for ideally a thousand person up that are really committed to this and we can help. We have a whole bunch of off-the-shelf workshops. We also can customize and we also can create uh, brand new. And so the ideal client, we, awesome. we put together a, a drumbeat of content and activities. So something monthly for the, a year kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So we really help show momentum within the company, uh, which is great. And so there are ESG goals that we help with, but also a, HR, a lot of people want to work for a company that cares. And, and this is a great illustration. Right. Of that. Yeah. So if people are looking for me. They can hit me up on LinkedIn or Graham at thecarbonauts.com or so thecarbonauts.com. Unfortunately, there's a, a company that makes a low carb bread called Carbonaut that has um, become very popular
0: since we started the company. So it can be oh. a little
1: confusing online, but we're the plural. And if
0: you look for the plural, you'll find us. The Carbonauts. Perfect. And do you work with yeah. universities at all?
1: We haven't yet, but we'd be interested. It's just I the see. same thing. We just, we need them to have a larger commitment. Otherwise, just yeah. the cost of us getting started just doesn't pencil. It's awesome. you think works putting together and managing workshops would be a simple thing, but it's actually <laughs> fairly complicated. And we work with, we have our own carbon calculator and yeah, we do. It's yeah, it's quite the sophisticated op- operation.
0: Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. So I'm going to shift on you. And I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how right. you overcame that failure and what you learned from it.
1: So I, I would say after I sold my first company, I set about doing, I was actually a humor oriented thing. This was in like 2000. And I, I would say the failure there was that I, I was ahead of myself. And not focused on the DNA and the product itself, mm-hmm. I was up at a working at a higher level, not in a good way. Uh, mm-hmm. And so ultimately, the product wasn't that great. And so the higher level ideas: we're going to raise money, and then we're going to do this, we're going to partner here. It didn't really make any sense because I didn't have the product for, product focus that it needed so i think if that makes any sense just gotta be careful not to get too airy-fairy with things so uh, i don't know maybe an example would be you're uh, putting together a, a cpg company focused on like energy bars like you got to get that energy bar to taste really good right if you don't have that then nothing else matters. So you got to get the product right. So I'd say that would be uh, one example. The other example would be life edited. In fact, I think I just didn't, ultimately the idea was to become a a real estate developer. Mm -hmm. I just didn't spend enough time really thinking about what that would be like and whether that would actually be a good fit for me. And so it took me a long time to realize, wow, I knew I didn't want to be an architect. I thought I wanted to be a real estate developer and you know what, it's just not a good fit for me. So the yeah. the failure there was just not spending enough time, just stepping back and, and thinking, okay, where are we going? And does that make, does that fit? Does that fit? Yeah. Do I like that? Yeah. So those would be two failures.
0: Awesome. And your greatest success?
1: I'd like to think so far tree hugger, I think is probably my greatest success it's hard to understand unless someone like yourself gets it like people that were around in the early days like we really we created something and it wasn't me it was a team yeah. we created something very special and that really didn't exist before oh and i know so when people found it they felt like wow this is my tribe and this feels good and so that was obviously amazing. I made a bunch of money, like cool, but very rewarding and in, in that I see the light in people's eyes that I, I help we I help create something that really helped inspire people, help them uh, do great research and find new people and come up with the ideas. and and I think we were part of a ton of business plans also. at that point, this is two thousand four, The idea that you could do well while doing good just wasn't that common. yeah. So in green, like I'm sure we were part of many a business plan. And so I think that ripple effect I'm very proud of as well.
0: And what's your big why? Why do you do what you do?
1: I think I'm an entrepreneur and a designpreneur really. And I think like both of those are are largely problem solving. Mm hmm. And so I think, yeah, that's my big why to see there's this really big problem that needs to be solved, both for our for humans, but also for our other animal friends. Uh, Everybody on the planet. Yeah. And that's the that's the why. And yeah, and I, I choose it in a way because it's a very challenging problem feeding the hungry or something it's it's a lot more direct and you can feel the results this is a very long longer term complicated to, yeah it's a very, really tricky problem so and that's yeah. why i'm still at it 23 years later
0: <laughs> one of my one of my favorite quotes is and the gentleman from the land institute said it and i'm paraphrasing if you're not thinking out 100 years you're not thinking big enough
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah love that
0: yeah yeah, and if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why?
1: I would say The Overstory as an example of a fiction book. Mm-hmm. I think it won a Pritzker Prize. It's a long one, but I think it's just a beautiful story that really helps you, if you're not already in love with trees, fall in love with trees. And yeah, it's just I, I thought it was really great. And so I think that's part of, we we save what we love. And so I think those similar would be like a more something to watch would be the, my octopus teacher helps you fall in love with nature and animals. I think those are really powerful. And then while I'm slipping other things in that you asked me not to, I would also say ministry for the future. It's more of a a negative, a little more scary, but also a pretty great book and that's fiction and that's about climate change. And uh, I quite enjoyed it.
0: Awesome. Thank you for that. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
1: It's a marathon, not a sprint. Try to get connected to stuff that really matters because years can rip by and yeah, really try to understand what makes a difference for you. What makes you happy? It's not space and stuff. It's people and relationships and connections and experiences and yeah um, so yeah there's some advice
0: Awesome thank you so much for joining us on the show today Graham Yeah thanks for having me You bet and how can our listeners get a hold of you and uh, your organization
1: Graham at g r a h a m at thecarbonauts.com is good LinkedIn is a great place I can find me on there and uh, thecarbonauts.com is our website which needs some work but uh, don't they all story of my life it's a,
0: it's a constant thing you know that <laughs> from tree auger days i'm sure yeah you can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash the we hope you enjoyed today's episode of the urban farm podcast remember to listen for tips advice and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great
1: things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams.